You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on the second Sunday after Pentecost, June 23rd, 2019, by the Reverend Carrie Klukas. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And Jesus asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you'll please pray with me. Lord Jesus, today you ask us, who do you say that I am? Help us, Lord, to bear an answer that is worthy of your calling. Help us to proclaim to the world that you are the Christ. Help us to be faithful people who hear your voice and obey. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a study that was once done in which all these mothers came and they dropped their kids off at a playtime. The mothers said goodbye to their children and they made sure they were, they were good and happy and they proceeded out the door. And upon exiting the door, they went around the building to another door and re-entered back inside the building. And the kids were then taken and given a chance to talk into a camera about what they thought about their mothers. And when the mothers were offered this chance to actually hear what their children said about them, almost every single mother cringed. They were afraid to hear what their kids thought of them. However, as the mothers took the risk to listen to their children's thoughts and of their hearts, they were blown away. The video reel was incredible. Child after child spoke about knowing that their mother loved them and that their mother cared for them. And the mothers are watching this video and they're weeping because to hear such beautiful words spoken about them. And all the while, the mothers thought that the children didn't hear them or didn't see them but love had broken into their hearts. And at that moment, they realized that their children had seen them and had known their hearts. The children in their honest answers have proclaimed to their mothers the truth of their hard work and of their loving hearts. Their mothers in their willingness to risk possible hurt or sadness had heard truth, which they could not see on their own. 
The research project, this research project is very similar to what we hear actually in the gospel passage today. Today the passage of scripture that we'll focus on is the gospel of Luke. In our gospel we hear this very similar interchange of answers, some of which are true and some of which are false. We hear the processing of the disciples with Jesus as to who he is in the world. Sometimes asking someone, who do you say that I am, can be a rather risky chance. Someone might say something hurtful or unkind. Someone might answer in a way that we find very uncomfortable. Someone might say something true that you do not want to have spoken out loud. Asking someone what people think of you opens up all kinds of possibilities. Jesus is being vulnerable with his disciples and he's showing them the way to interact in the world. This is a little of a side note, but yet really important to the sermon. Jesus is showing us, and I think in this scripture passage today, that real relationships um, have moments of conflict and moments of potential heartache. So often I think in our day-to-day -day interactions with one another, with people that we see all the time, we count it as a failure or a sign of a bad relationship if we do not agree or if we have moments of conflict. One of us says one thing and the other person hears another thing, right? One of us makes a decision and the other person doesn't like it. So often, we as people respond in ways that do not help our conflict. Either we act as if we're fine, right? And we walk away. Actually, we're feeling really hurt and wounded. And we allow those feelings to grow and fester inside of us. Or we blow up and we just walk away from something and we never come back to it again. Sometimes we go to other people and we tell them of our offense, and, but we never go to the person that we're hurt by. Therefore, we just gossip and we never actually get a chance to heal that relationship. Jesus, however, shows us the right way to go today. He goes directly to the people he wants to hear from. Jesus doesn't hide from conflict or possible self-exposure, but rather he makes himself vulnerable to those who are closest to him so that he can clear up any wrong conclusions. And sharing our hearts with one another when we're hurt or misunderstanding of another person is the only way that we can have really healthy relationships. If you ever wonder what someone thinks, go to them directly. If you ever wonder about someone's life or why they live the way they do, then go to that person directly. If you feel hurt or looked over or misunderstood or have miscommunicated with someone, go to Jesus, ask him for wisdom, then go to the person for clarification. 
Real relationships, Jesus shows us today, real relationships have conflict, they have vulnerability, they have re-clarification, but they don't have gossip or hard-heartedness or blatant avoidance. Jesus longs for us to be real with each other. So in the gospel today, back in the gospel passage, we have Matthew and Mark locate this, um, this incident where Jesus is sitting with his disciples. He locates it in the vicinity of Caesarea Philippi. Now this is near the foot or the bottom of Mount Hermon. And this is a heathen territory. The worship of the great god Pan was what people worshiped. It was an idol that people worshiped. Jesus had withdrawn, this is Herod's land, okay? Herod, the really difficult ruler who was evil and out to get everybody that followed Jesus. Jesus had withdrawn from Herod's sort of dominion and his world and from the crowd that had been thronging around him. And here he could talk quietly with his disciples and have an opportunity for like undistracted conversation. Jesus lived a life of deep connection with God the Father and with the people that he lived, worked, and shared life with. In his active ministry years, Jesus would go out into these great crowds, do all this incredible ministry, and share the gospel and the truths of the kingdom of God. And then he would withdraw into quiet, very usually very natural settings, to reconnect with God and to teach and to talk with his disciples. Here we have Jesus, he's sitting and he's praying with his disciples. He's taken a break from the crowds and he's praying with those closest to him. And despite Jesus's apparent need for refreshment and quiet communion with God, he continues to probe the hearts of the disciples. Jesus loves his people even when he's exhausted, he reaches out to them to continue to expand their notion of him. If you're a follower on that way with Jesus, you should be growing and hearing more of him. You should be challenged and continually asking yourselves the questions that Jesus asks his followers. And the question today that he has is, who do you say that I am? And the answers were wide and varied, right? And they reflected the answers that were going around and going around the, the town that he was in and going back to Herod. Some believed him to be John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus and known for calling people out of a life of sin. Some thought he was Elijah, right? The great prophet who went around challenging people to turn away from a life of sin to God and to God's law and his way. But Jesus was more than that. Prophet, he definitely was. But he was not simply pointing to God's kingdom some way, way off in the future. But he was actually causing the kingdom to appear before the people's eyes. And he was setting in motion these events 
that would be established throughout all of time that we would talk about even today. Jesus goes on to ask the question, but who do you say that I am? The original language, you heard it when I said English here, but the original language in the New Testament was Greek. And in the original language, the word you was emphasized considerably. Jesus was asking them personally, what did they think of him? The personal, intimate knowledge of Jesus cannot be taught to somebody. It has to be felt and it has to be experienced by an individual person. Jesus was making himself vulnerable to his disciples and he was essentially asking them what they had seen and experienced as they walked along the way with him. What did they perceive as he healed people, as he cast out demons, as he raised the dead to life? Jesus was taking a real chance in his relationship with the disciples. What if they saw nothing more than an old dead prophet? What if they thought that he was just a, a fine teacher and nothing more? The first couple disciples, they answered by deflecting the conversation and they spoke of what others thought. How often do we hide behind what other people think? Making statements like, well, people are upset about this thing when really we're the ones who are really upset, but we're afraid to stand in a place of conflict. How often do we avoid thinking um, we're being really godly when really we're missing out on an opportunity for relational growth with another? Peter, he jumps in, man. He's ready to converse with Jesus. He does not fear the conflict or the potential conversation. Peter was typically, throughout the um, Gospels, he's typically the spokesperson for the disciples. He was bold and he was brash and he lived life whole hog, whether it was for good or for ill, like we see later in the Gospels. Peter was always willing to engage with Jesus and willing to stand out for his beliefs. Peter ends up making the proclamation that Jesus is the Christ. Peter's saying that Jesus is the deliverer for whom the people of God have been looking for for so long, that he and his companions had come to see this was not their own like human discovery, but rather a revelation from God. But the Messiah, they didn't really know what that meant necessarily. The definition of the proclamation is this public or this official announcement that's especially one dealing with a matter of great importance. Jesus was quietly with his closest people proclaiming his divinity to those who were closest to him. 
He's teaching the disciples what is to come. The time was not right to be clear about this statement of truth to be made to all the people and all the masses yet. Jesus follows the way of God the Father in instructing those closest to him and showing the masses the kingdom of God before their eyes. He instructs them not to tell others, but rather that he has more to come. If we understand kind of Luke's gospel, and if you've read the whole thing, if you haven't, go and read the whole gospel. It's beautiful. But Luke's story um, so far has these strong hints of opposition from the Pharisees. And from, um, you have the Pharisees on one hand and you have Herod on the other. And it will come to no surprise that Jesus at once tells not just the twelve, but anyone else who wants to follow him, that there's a dark and dangerous time ahead. The world is going to be turned upside down, and anyone who wants to come through and be present when God's kingdom, when it appears, will have to be prepared to be turned upside down and inside out with it. As the Messiah, he must endure suffering and death and then be brought back to life. The disciples, like other Jews at this time, did not think that anything like this could happen to the Messiah. Jesus was probably comparing himself with the mighty, with many of the righteous people who had suffered because of their obedience to God and identifying himself as a suffering servant, which we hear way prophesied way, way back in Isaiah chapter 53. Jesus was trying to get the disciples, he was getting them ready for what was to come down the road. Jesus does not paint a way of ease for those of us who follow the way of the cross. Despite many well-meaning evangelists and preachers, what they've said, Jesus didn't come with a message that if you followed him, that you would have an easy life. And that everything would happen exactly the way you want it to. It was just the reverse. To save your life, you have to lose it. And sometimes following Jesus means you have to move away. You have to leave behind your family and your friends. Sometimes following Jesus means standing up for what is true and what is right in the midst of great social pressure. Sometimes following Jesus means that you'll suffer in your body, in your mind, in your finances. The way of the cross is meant to bring us real life and great joy. And Jesus does this swift movement in, in the scriptures from asking who they think he is to summoning them to follow him even to death. And he shows clearly enough that we cannot separate thinking from action in the Christian faith. As Jesus said earlier, it's no use saying, Lord, Lord, if you don't do what he says. 
Jesus's identity and his vocation are tied so tightly that if you want to have anything to do with him, you have to take the whole package or nothing at all. There are no half measures in the kingdom of God. You cannot sorta, kinda be in, but rather you have to be sold out or not a part of the kingdom of God. This is so very difficult for our ears to hear as we live in this world of sampling a little bit of this and a little bit of that. However, Jesus can't be a smorgasbord of ideas that we live our life by. As you draw near to him, you begin to see truth and lies. You begin to hear a calm, peaceful, clear, honest, and convicting voice that leads you in a steady fashion. Jesus is the kind of leader that if following him might lead you to pain or suffering, he tells you that right in the beginning. He is a lover of your soul, and he wants you to know that there's going to be a cost to follow him. And if you really think about it, there's always a cost or a consequence. We talk about this all the time in our house. It's every action has a consequence. They go together. And there's always a consequence for the actions that we choose in our lives. If we choose a life of, say, riotous living, we incur illnesses, brokenness in our bodies, and typically depression in our minds. On the other hand, when we choose the things that the, of the Lord, we typically find peace in the midst of storms, order in the midst of chaos, and vision where there once was none. Do you notice the hard things didn't go away, did they? The hard things stay there, but there's something in the center of them that is completely different, right? These moments or these revelations of truth and vocation took place as Jesus as he had been praying. And if we want to see Jesus for who he truly is, then we have to be people of prayer. If you want to know Jesus and to be able to answer the question, if he were to come and stand before you today and say, who do you say that I am? Then we need to be kingdom people who pray to Jesus. And when we pray to Jesus, our identity comes from him and we're more able to love those people around us. We become, when you settle yourself in Jesus, in your identity in him, we are less defensive 
I'm more able to step into hard moments of conflict and not run and hide or run and gossip. Praying to Jesus, it allows us to follow the way of the cross and to take our eyes and fix them firmly on Jesus's eyes. In times when I feel so insecure about my life, I never wanted to be a priest. I never wanted to be a woman with a really big family. Like I didn't want to stand out. I longed to kind of hide or be flat against the wall where nobody noticed me. And yet Jesus had a different way. And if I follow him, then I follow that way. So when I feel insecure about my life or my choices or the way that I appear to other people or where I'm going with all the stuff I'm pouring myself out to, I remind myself to tell Satan to drive far from me and I turn to the one, the one who defines me and who gives my life meaning. Jesus, he hungers, he hungers and he longs to give you zeal for your life, to give you meaning and purpose. Jesus taught that if people try to save their earthly lives, that they will lose the life that really matters. But if they're prepared to lay down their lives for Jesus, then they will know a real and an abundant life. For on the day of judgment, those who love their earthly lives so much that they despise Jesus, they'll find themselves rejected. While his way is not always easy, it is truly rich and it's meaningful. Your life when it's lived for Jesus can be filled with beauty and order and peace and purpose. Life without Jesus is typically self-absorbed, only thinking of how to make oneself happy and usually harming others around you with your selfish ways. God's ways are good, and when we profess Jesus to be the Christ, our lives cannot remain the same. Professing Jesus as the Christ means that a life that is continually transformed. The way I thought a year ago is different from the way that I think today. Jesus, as we walk with him, He'll transform the way that we think and therefore the way that we live out our lives. This week, um, this past week was a, in the Anglican Church in North America. They had in Texas a huge meeting for our province and they had some wonderful speakers and they live streamed them and we were able to watch them. And one speaker, he shared a story of a man who had begun on this journey of seeking out sort of spiritual practices in his life. 
He was a nominal Christian, which means he kind of, sort of, you know, he thought Jesus was kind of interesting, but he wasn't real sure about the whole thing. And he was a very successful businessman. So at the end of this year, this gentleman had been learning about how to pray and learning about how to practice, you know, a life of prayer. And he finds himself in an airport and he's traveling for work and his flight gets canceled and canceled and he ends up stranded in this airport for quite a while and everybody is gathering to go up to the desk to get rebooked to try and get where they're going and they're all mad and they're all frustrated and they're all lined up and they're all yelling taking turns yelling at the poor flight attendant who's helping rebook flights and this man went up to her and he said i'm not going to be mean to you and she instantly let her shoulders down. She said, thank you. And he treated her kindly. His colleague, who was next to him, asked him, what are you eating? What are you drinking? Because uh, a year ago, I, you would have ripped that lady up to shreds, and you would have been really mean to her. And the man turned to him and said, it's not what I'm eating or what, it's, what I'm drinking but it's what I'm thinking and it's what I'm believing that has changed me. The man's life was being transformed by Christ in such a way that it actually spilled out into his normal life. What he was thinking and what he was believing about God had changed him in such a way as to reflect in his everyday life. Following the way of the cross is meant to change our lives. And when we go home today, or as you drive in your car, if you drive alone, I don't drive alone, but if you drive alone, you can ask yourself, take some time to linger before God and ask him, how have I changed? Ask him, how does he want to change you more? In what ways does God desire to move in your life? His ways, they steady us. They make us more mature and more faithful. So may you enter this week with a deep desire to see change in your life. May you cling to the one who can transform you, who can give you grace in the midst of real relationships with others. And may you know that you are in the eyes of your creator and he is the lover of your soul. To God be the glory now and forever. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.